Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Well, why are people mad at me, Gavin? I don't know Ellen DeGeneres. Ass. The following podcast contains... Profanity, food jokes, and tired comedy references. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you ordered a scotch and seaweed, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is a Friday, October 11, 2019. There's Whiskey in the Pado edition of the show, where we talk about booze fads in America. Pop a scotch pot in your mouth and stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by RectaShop, the anal infusion drinking system. Do you want all the pleasures of being drunk without the telltale odor of alcohol? Why not infuse your alimentary canal with distilled beverages with RectaShot? Worried about spillage and seepage? Don't. Our discreet and sanitary deep penetration system is an unobtrusive catheter worn beneath your clothes and a handy port system at waist level. Now you feel the boob, give a couple of quick quick squeezes, and feel the rush of booze, booze flowing into your absorbent tissues of your lower intestines. No smell, no obvious signs of consumption, just the pure sweet bliss of booze. Even a closeted alcoholic needs to make it through the day doing it the rector shot way. Act now and get a free sample bourbon pod, tequila, tequila pod, or scotch pod with your purchase of the Rectopod system. Warning, consumption of alcohol rectally contains risk. It is not proof against side effects of intoxication. It's also local laws to detail. Rector shot is being no liability for the misuse of this product. The Glen Levitt has released an original whiskey drinking experience. A collection of edible cocktail capsules made from seaweed, meaning no need for a glass, ice, or a cocktail stirrer. Tyer, one of the world's best bars, created three new Founders Reserve-based recipes for whiskey lovers to try together. To enjoy them, pop the capsule in your mouth and take a bite to release the delicious cocktail ingredients. The Glenlivet is the first spirits brand in the world to team up with sustainable packaging startup Knotplug, who developed the capsule technology. The Glenlivet Capsule Collection sets new standards on how whiskey can be enjoyed. The Glenlivet, original by tradition. Like most American teens, I did most of my early drinking out of my parents' liquor cabinet. The only unusual part of that statement is that my parents had a liquor cabinet since both of them are fanatical teetotalers. I hazard to guess the some amount of all the alcohol the parents of my my parents have consumed combined is less than the amount that I've consumed since saying hello and welcome to this podcast. This is both a comment on how little they drink and uh, I guess how much I do. You know, you really should see someone about that. Still, my mother was an avid baker and often kept liquor on hand for recipes, primarily the sweet boozes like rum or Kahlua. And from time to time, I would take little nips off the bottle and replace the volume with tap water. So much so, by the time they finally caught me in flagrante de drinko, cup of orange juice in one hand, rum bottle in the other, that rum was like mostly 90% rum-scented water. 
to say that they were upset would be... Would be a colossal understatement. Because to their way of thinking, alcohol was both forbidden by their faith, which was odd because everyone they knew were Southern Baptists and those people were getting shit-faced on the sly every weekend before church. And also a tremendous danger because apparently we were a family full of alcoholics. But were they? Okay, I'm leaving out any comments on my contemporary consumption. No one on either side of our family really drank all that much. Neither of their parents drank at all, and none of their siblings seemed to exhibit the telltale signs of being a booze hound. By their standards, anyone who drank at all was simply an alcoholic or at least an alcoholic in waiting. Now, this has not changed in that my both my sister and I enjoy liquor like we do only proves them right to their way of thinking. And the reason that I'm thinking of my teenage rum drinks, which, good God, who drinks rum and orange juice, is that Glenn Livett provided a solution to the problem this week that no one in history even knew was a problem. Well, this whiskey's not good enough to put in a glass. So they put it in a pod. Miriam Icalaza, director of the Glenn Livett, said at a press release, quotes, As a brand that celebrates originality, we're always looking to break the conventions that determine how single malt scotch has been historically enjoyed. The Glenn Livett capsule collection does exactly that. And we're excited to see how people react when they try our glassless cocktails. The capsule, which has been described as the first of its kind for a spirit brand, is made of an edible biodegradable seaweed-based material and filled with 23 milliliters, 0.77 fluid ounces, of scotch, according to the press release. The capsules are popped in the mouth for an instant burst of flavor, and the capsule simply swallowed, unquote. Why would anyone do that to themselves? Well, they actually wouldn't. The product was made for London Cocktail Week and are not currently available on the market anywhere. It was one of those things that brands do because they know it will get people talking about the brand, even if what they're saying is like, what the fuck are they doing? And clearly that worked because everyone is talking about it. The Google search term Glenlivet Pods returns over 4 million hits. All some variations of jokes about Tide Pods or articles on how this was a publicity stunt to get people to talk about Glenlivet. Well, aren't you kind of doing that right now? Of course I am. The world is on fire. We're spiraling into a constitutional crisis. And all I can think of is that I wish I had a fistful of scotch pods right now. The only real use for alcohol pods that I can see is the reason jewel vapes are so damn popular amongst the youngs. Parents don't know what the fuck they are. If I had a seaweed pod filled with booze back in the day, I never would have been busted skyfing off my mom's run cake hooch. I miss simpler times. And I suspect sometime in the not-too-distant future, they will make their way to the market because Americans love solutions for problems that don't exist, like problematic drinking vessels. It helps us ignore the actual problems that are dooming us all. And we also love a good drinking fad. I mean, after all, we're just coming off of White Claw Summer. Freaking polar bears. Polar bears. No, we're not talking about polar bears. We're talking about hard seltzer, people. I mean, think of vodka soda, but replace the actual decent vodka with a shitty low-grade malt beverage. He wants a Smirnoff ice. And- Essentially, but the sugar water in a Smirnoff ice is replaced with LaCroix. All summer long, the youngs were touting the delish of the claw. White claw? White Claw Summer 2019, baby. Fuck those glasses. It's basically just a vegan Four loco. I mean, if you think about it, LaCroix, it's just a virgin White Claw. It's like a Four loco that went to private school. Ain't no laws when you're drinking claws, baby. 
Honestly, the sound of a vaguely flavored seltzer water spiked with malt, malt beverage sounds, I don't know, perfectly bland to me, but I'm not young and so out of touch with the Gen Z zeitgeist, just as I was for so many of the drinking fans over the past few years, that I don't know what the fuck is going on. So I decided to brush up on the history and then brush it off on you, pod friends, because again, the world is going to shit. And I want to avoid talking about it for as long as possible. So let us, you and I, get our drank on together, shall we, as we tour through booze fads in American history. As I noted in several other episodes, America was founded by drunks and spent most of our early history completely fucking shit-faced. The entire independence mo movement was essentially... We get really shit-faced and maybe make a complete fool out of your stuff. But since we did it, we just kind of went with it, and for most of that time, drinking was an entirely pragmatic activity. Life in the fucking wilderness was bleak, boring, and really, really hard, and you drank what you had on hand to take the edge off. It took the Industrial Revolution to turn drinking into a social activity rather than the act of desperation. So it stands to reason that the first real drinking fad would follow along shortly after, the cocktail, after that revolution, and thus, the cocktail was born. From Wikipedia, Jeremiah Jerry P. Thomas, born October 30th, 1830, and died December 15th, 1885, was an American bartender who owned and operated saloons in New York City. Because of his pioneering work in popularizing cocktails across the United States, as well as he is considered the father of American mixology. In addition to writing the seminal work on cocktail, The Bartender's Guide, Thomas displayed creativity and showmanship while preparing drinks and established the image of the bartender as a creative professional. As such, he was often nicknamed Professor Jerry Thomas. Jerry is considered the creator of cocktail culture, and his seminal work contained the recipes for myriad drinks, some of which are still consumed today. Drinks like the Flip, the Brandy Daisy, the Sour, several variations on punches, and the first recorded ever recipe for a Tom Collins. No one did. I didn't until I read it. Indeed, the professor launched what is considered the golden age of cocktails from an NPR article in 2015. Some of the best cocktails that we think of today, the Martini, the Daiquiri, the Manhattan, all came out between the 1860s and Prohibition, says Derek Brown, an award-winning mixologist who has studied the history of alcohol in America. I want to be that guy's friend. An American engineer, Jennings Cox, is created with Britain Vinti the Daiquiri while working in Cuba in the late 1890s. The story goes that he played around the Bacardi rum to get the perfect flavor. The Daiquiri stayed in Cuba until the U.S. Navy Admiral Lucius Johnson discovered it, enthralled, and with the cocktail, the Admiral introduced it to the Washington, D.C. Army Navy Club in 1909, and it spread like wildfire from there, eventually becoming a favorite of Ernest Hemingway and John F. Kennedy. Also, did you know that the martinis you are drinking are actually piss water compared to an actual martini? I did not know that. <laughs> of course you didn't. You didn't because you're an uneducated American. An actual martini is gin, vermouth, and orange bitter. Not a single fucking olive in sight. Not to mention a fucking onion. What the fuck is that all about? Original American cocktails were different than their modern descendants, often highlighting the taste of the booze 
clues instead of disguising it like we do today. A lot of this had to do with the ingredients of the time. No processed sugars bouncing around in the late 19th century, if you catch my drift. But it also had to do with the alcohol going into the cocktails, which was usually the most expensive imported alcohols, and it would go against the entire idea of showing off that you were rich enough to pay for imported hooch if you hid the taste of that hooch. So while the pores were still swilling their cheap whiskey and beers, the cocktail aficionados of the Gilded Age had a refined palate, and they wanted to show it off. But then, of course, came Prohibition. During Prohibition, the drinking fad was drinking itself. It's so edgy. The response of many youths of the day to being told they couldn't drink was the same response as a young Dave being informed he couldn't drink either. To which my response was, of course... Oh, yeah? Well, we'll see about that. Straight liquor was the province of the money class, who either kept large cellars full of liquor or could afford to have the good stuff smuggled in. And as for the rest of us fools, because so much of the booze was bootlegged or made in someone's bathtub, it tasted rather like... Tastes like shit. Actual shit. So the style of the time was to disguise the taste of the rot gut with much heavier flavors. Fruit juice became a staple ingredient in cocktails because they overwhelmed the raw taste of the booze. Prohibition bequeathed the Tipsy Nation cocktails of long standing like the Old Fashioned or the Mint Julep, but also a slew of drinks long since forgotten like the Corpse Reviver, the Mary Pickford, or the Gin Ricky. Honestly, that Corpse Reviver thing sounds kind of awesome. But all of the popular Prohibition cocktails I saw shared two simple traits. They seemed really strong, and they also seemed sickeningly sweet. And this coming from a guy who used to mix Southern Comfort and orange juice. Dave, why would you tell me that here and now? Because I thought it was something you needed to know about me, okay? During the war years, drinking went back to serious business because, you know, dying. But once we'd saved the world for democracy and we were fighting against the godless Russians, we had time to sip a cocktail or three. All of the old standards came back into fashion as we could afford good liquor, but for reasons no one could really understand, the 1950s gave us creamy cocktail. No, just no. Please. I mean, okay, yes, the white Russian, iconic dude drink, but the rest, the grasshopper, the mudslide, the pink squirrel, it's its like... I want to be drunk, but I also kind of want strong bones and teeth. Don't do this. It's wrong. The only acceptable cream is Irish cream, and then only in Irish coffee, period, and only if you're hungover from drinking Irish whiskey the night before. And this cream thing goes on today because I've got a friend who drinks Malibu and milk on the regular. I don't get why anybody would do that. Nor do I, John. Nor do I. That's sick. Just sick. And then the 70s saw us putting all kinds of liquor in orange juice. I mean, the screwdriver. Sure, everybody wants to get shit-faced at breakfast. I understand. But some of these things are just fucking wrong. The Paradise, the Harvey Wallbanger. Oh, God, the fuzzy navel. God help us all. What about the tequila sunrise? That was just disgusting. Man, come on. I had a rough night, and I hate the fucking eagles, man. I mean, someone put tequila in orange juice and then poured grenadine in it for some reason to turn it red, I guess. It's fucking terrible. I know because I used to drink a shitload of them for some reason. 
So between that and the rum and the OJ and the abomination of SoCo and OJ, I can't even drink orange juice for breakfast anymore. Trust me, OJ killed long before the 1990s. Oh, now that's in poor taste. And then somehow, the 80s took all these horrible fads and condensed them into one fad to rule them all, when suddenly everyone was drinking pre-made mixers. You want a Tom Collins? Hit the Piggly Wiggly for a bottle of Tom Collins mix. Same with margaritas, Bloody Marys, and even a goddamn kamikaze. It's literally lemon juice and sugar. But, you know, those were the 80s. This has been going on since the 80s? Then the late 90s and the early 2000s gave us the special martini, and of late, the mega drinks with a couple of dozen wildly inappropriate ingredients, all annoying. But you know what? Throughout all of this, there was still the kids. What were the kids doing? The kids must have been drinking something because they couldn't afford martinis or the mega drinks or even a fucking, well, they could afford a bottle of Tom Collins mix because we did. What were the kids drinking? What was the fad? Remember Zima? Zay, you're out for a beer. What do you have? Beer. What if there wasn't any beer? Sorry, guys. Never heard of it. Oh, Zima. Zima's good. Zima. There you go. What is this? No, look, just you. Zima's a unique alcohol beverage. Like it. Anything else? Did you get pretzels? Mm. What day is this? Oh, you remember for a brief and mildly intoxicated moment, Zima was the thing people drank because they saw it on the ZV. Sorry, I couldn't help myself there. If you have never tasted a Zima, I can uh, best describe it like this. Oh, gross. Why do I keep trying to like Zima? If you ask me, I think somewhere out there there were like millions of gallons of Zima in a tank and someone knew that they had to get rid of it, so they put it all in white white claw cans. Zima tasted vaguely of citrus, but mostly of nothing. And what is worse, no matter how much I drank, I couldn't ever catch a buzz despite it supposedly having the same alcohol content as beer. I sure as fuck would wake up with a hangover, though. I blame Zima for all the drinks that came after, and oh my god, have there been a lot. Do you remember Jaeger shots? The name sounds familiar. Yeah, you probably can't because uh, if you drank Jaeger shots... You blacked out every fucking time. Jaeger is cough syrup with codeine times 10, and it consumed off a strange woman's breast. At least, that's what they tell me I did. I don't remember any of the times I did Jaeger shots. That need for clarity brought us to the next drink craze, where people decided they wanted to be super drunk, but also be really, really awake, and thus, we got Red Bull and vodka. Now, I've never been a fan of energy drinks. I'm enough of a traditionalist where if I desire not to sleep for several days, I'll drink a strong black coffee and do a shit ton of cocaine because I'm a real goddamn man. But then people were like, oh, cocaine is really bad for you. So they started drinking this diabetics piss they call energy Red Bull energy drink. I tried a Red Bull once and I gagged like I was trying to go down on John Holmes. Too loud and too specific. So naturally, some sick fuck's got to be like, hey, what if we were all really fucked up but couldn't sleep for like three or four days? Which, again, we had cocaine for that. But, you know, they created Red Bull Vodka. 
and this being America, Red Bull Vodka wasn't enough, so we had to go bigger, and thus was given unto us for our sins for loco. Say, buying an energy drink? Yeah, I could use a pick-me-up. Have you considered four loco? Four loco? To get the same amount of energy in just one four loco, you'd have to drink a Red Bull and a cup of coffee. That's a lot of energy. And these four beers. I thought this was an energy drink. So do the FDA. Suckers. I don't want to be drunk. I haven't even had lunch yet. Who needs lunch when you have four loco? In fact, to get the calories in just one four loco, you'd have to consume all this. Plus a double bacon cheeseburger doused in milk fat. That is disgusting. Disgusting? Please. To taste something as disgusting as Four Loco, you'd have to swallow this thing I just found. Oh, Four Loco, now in Kiwi Strawberry. This sounds like a horrible, horrible drink. It is. In Back in 2010, all them kids were getting loopy on the Loco. Which once one 23-ounce can contained the same amount of alcohol as four beers and the same amount of caffeine as a cup of really strong coffee and apparently an entire fucking Red Bull. How could you possibly think this is a good idea? I don't think anyone did, but you know what? More importantly, what did it fucking taste like? From a November 2010 article in Grub Street that compiled some of the best reviews of the beverage, let's hear what Four Loco tasted like. Quote, It tastes like a cleaning product in a Jolly Rancher. Like fruit punching gasoline as filtered through a colostomy bag. Like licking cat piss off a rusty metal surface. Like raspberries that have been sitting in the sun for three years mixed with Everclear and piss. Four Loco tastes like King Cobra raped by a pack of sweet tarts. Like candy that was left in a dirty gutter full of crackhead pee. Like drinking medical grade cleaning alcohol with a hint of watermelon. Like someone took five Crystal Light individual lemonade packets and dumped them into a can of concentrated steel reserve. It tastes like the re like rejection and morning after regret. And finally, it tastes like prison wine made with fruity pebbles, unquote. Naturally, the kids went crazy for it and stayed that way until the FDA and many states banned the formula and the makers pulled the caffeinated version from the market and issued a version without it, and then everyone quickly lost interest. Because at the same time, apparently, this was happening. <laughs> Rules of life. Wait, if you don't Rules of ice. Get down on one knee and start icing, bros. <laughs> ice, bro. He's pounded, man. Ice. Not going to stay frozen for long. I don't know. For some reason, the 2000 thing, bros icing bros was a thing. Simpler times, huh? From a 2010 Mary Sewer article, quote, the rules are simple. If a person sees a smearing off ice, he or she must get down on one knee and chug it unless they happen to be carrying their own smearing off, in which case they can ice block or refract the punishment back onto the attacker. In order to dupe people into stumbling across the beverage, peer participants have been strapping bottles to the backs of dogs or buried in the vats of protein powder, unquote. It was like a coin check, but with a shitty malt beverage. And unlike Four Loco, however, it's never quite went away. It's like Rick rolling that aspect. It persists in the collective unconsciousness because I found an article from 2017 updating the rules of bros icing bros for a more modern cognoscenti. Quote, I seen someone in the morning after drinking, you're an even bigger piece of shit than the apple flavor guy. 
This isn't even funny anymore. I'm over here trying to be responsible and get my day started, and you're in the corner chuckling like the Pillsbury Doughboy just got his stomach touched. Am I going to drink it? Of course. I have way too much respect for the game, unquote. Through it all, we human beings have been looking for a faster, easier way to get fucked up and for a way to hide how shitty so much of what fucks us up taste. Well, I mean, what if the fuck are scotch pods other than a tacit admission by the very people that make scotch that when you cut through the pretense and the hype, scotch really just tastes like... It tastes like old man ass. The Utes in particular will always be in search of the next cool thing to use to annoy the olds. This frequently manifests itself in doing things like the wee olds would never, ever, ever do. Like drinking a Four loco, or God forbid a Limerita. And then everyone invents rituals to accompany, uh, to accompany our drinking, like scotch and how old white dudes always have a nice snifter or a fucking highball, whatever they fuck drink scotch in, in a, in a room under the fireplace when they're about to fuck over 99% of the people in the world. We should probably all just take a chill pill when it comes to the next new thing, even if, or hell, particularly if, it seems extremely silly to us. When booze, co- booze pods are the next big thing, just just roll with it. It ain't hurting anyone any more than all the other shit we did. So everyone, because, like vaping, everyone's got to die of something. So I say hoist your Smirnoff Ices, your Harvey Wall Bangers, your Brandy Daisies, and clink your glasses to a fine old American tradition of getting shit-faced and just doing stupid things. And if you happen to catch your kids with a rum bottle in his hand, just remember, you forced him to do it this way by demonizing alcohol, and if you just adopted a common-sense approach to alcohol and taught him that it could be enjoyed in moderation as a socially accepted thing, and to avoid drinking and driving and going home with strange women, it could be it could be done safely and sanely, then maybe, maybe, just maybe, he wouldn't want wind up getting shit-faced in a trailer studio and will use car lots in Howard Beach, Queens, mom and dad. Sorry, you clearly got some drinking issues to work out there. What I mean is youth is a time when we all experiment and frequently make mistakes. If you want your kids to develop a healthy ways of dealing with all the things we adults use to crutch our way through the crippling reality of adulthood and this the end times, start out by not making the forbidden so fucking attractive. Nothing makes for sweeter sauce than being told you can never do it. I should know I spent my entire adult life doing what people told me I was forbidden to do, which explains all these whiskey, empty whiskey bottles and all the ex-wives. Also, and these grimoires of ancient spells and rituals that I used to raise a fucking demon. Honestly, honestly, Dad, if you'd just let me play Dungeons and Dragons like I wanted to. And finally, here at the end of the show, I would like to close out with this a short poem. It was a short poem my friends and I stole from someone else, but we would always recite as we would concoct alcoholic abominations. I could play the original poet, but you know what? I want to do it like we did back then. I am the world's last barman poet. I see America drinking the fabulous cocktails I make, Americans getting stinking on something I stir or shake, the sex on the beach, the snops made from peach, the velvet hammer, the Alabama slammer. I make things with juice and froth, the pig squirrel, the three-eyed sloth, I make drinks so sweet and snazzy 
the iced tea, the kamikaze, the orgasm, the death spasm, the Singapore sling, the diggling. America, you're just devoted to every flavor I got. But if you want to get loaded, why don't you just order a shot? The bar is open. That is it for our show this week. Are you ready to get your spook on? I mean, not just the scary shit kids drink today. I'm talking about the evil of Halloween. Good, because next week we kick off the spooktacular with part one and the childhood monsters that I grew up with. And following after that part two, the real monsters I grew up with. It's going to be horrifying. You know what else is horrifying? Rating and reviewing the show wherever you get your pods. It helps to scare the hell out of others when they find the show. All of my word pods are available for consumption on the Twitter, the hell underscore podcast. All of the disgusting concoctions we call the shows are on SoundCloud of the show name. Check out whatthehellpodcast.com for some cool show-related stuff and hit us up with your pocket change. You got a dollar? Come on, man. Give us a dollar. Come on. You listen to the show every week. Give me a buck. Just one buck, man. Just one buck can change my life. That's how desperate I am for your money. So we'll go over to patreon.com slash what the hell podcast and, you know, kick in a buck. And in exchange, I will give you some spooky ass shit that you cannot hear anywhere else but on Patreon. And I actually work on these, unlike this dumb show, which I just pedal out for free. So for uh, me, Dave Snake Shot Bledsoe, producer Sour Toe Gavin, and all the fictional slow, comfortable screws on this show, we want to say, Masha Ring, Shama Do, Shama Da, whack for my daddy oh, there's whiskey in the pond. We'll see you all next week. for this, so I take a small bow. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.